Well, hi. Welcome to the podcast, Betty Dickinson. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Danielle. It's fun to be here. Isn't that always the most awkward part of a podcast is where you're like, do I say something? Do I not? Is there more coming? Is there not? I do this all the time. I always like, hi. Um, anyway, I can see you, but uh, other people can't. And uh, you look great as usual. And uh, we are in this, you know, we're, we're tracking together on this Advent series. We are trying to be intentional um, about encounter and encountering Christ for real life right now, even though the story is thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. Um, it's timeless in that regard. And I want to talk to you about all things art and practice and spiritual practices and ways of seeing the world and this timeless story and our lives right now differently. And um, so first of all, as an artist, how does art help you to see differently? And maybe even how does art help us to see differently? Yeah, well, I think both in the creating of art and the viewing of it, it helps me see differently. I know for me, when I'm creating art, it slows me down to pay attention because I'm having to pay attention to what are the, what is the paint doing? How is it moving across the board? Uh, My mentor artist and I often joke that a lot of the artist's job is to watch paint dry (laughs) because it's, it's literally watching, you know, responding to the materials. And it's actually, I think, an act of surrender, both to create the art and to view it because, as an artist, I am creating and responding. And a lot of artists talk about this in the creative process, but just that you have to surrender to what the piece is wanting to become. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a huge component, both in the creation of it, but also when you're viewing art, you're having to surrender as well to what the piece is doing in you and through Mm you and what the artist's is wanting to communicate uh, that it it really forces me to kind of let go of control. And I think that when we're viewing art, we are forced to slow down mm-hmm. and to see and to behold and to get caught up in the reality of what is the scene is depicting rather than controlling it to see what we want it to see. And it's so interesting to watch people go through art galleries because I think there's some people who can really sit and absorb and it takes a while actually for beauty or art to actually integrate and 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 really surround you and to become a part of the piece and allow it to transform you. Whereas I think a lot of times, especially in our culture today, where we see things so quickly on Instagram and things are rapidly passing through, it can be easy to just sort of go through the motions. Oh, yeah, I got, I understand what that piece is. Now I'm going to move on to the next one. Whereas uh, to truly behold a piece requires you to slow down and to surrender to what the piece wants to do within you. I love the word behold. Um, actually, as you were talking, I was thinking about the art of making book. Mm-hmm. by one of mm-hmm. your hero disciples. Yeah, people. Makoto Fujimara, yes. Uh-huh. I was going to let you say his name because I always get it. Yeah. I always butcher it. <laughs> but um, where he says, you know, after 20 minutes, you mm-hmm. might be able to start seeing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, in my life, 20 minutes of sitting looking at an art piece is like exorbitant. But like, he's yeah. like, that's when it might begin. Like, yeah. it's not even that you can see something before then. It's like, you have got to allow time Mm-hmm. And I, I would imagine half of that time is like detoxing your own hurried 
frantic, chaotic life. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting in the sense too, that, um, you know, William Blake has this quote that we become what we behold, but Mm. to really behold something, you do need to give it the time. And it reminds me of that verse in second Corinthians three eighteen, where it says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory mm-hmm. are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. And just the sense of like, when we even behold Christ, when we slow down to behold him, we are transformed into his image. But of course, that's not just a quick glance. That's in meditating, beholding, receiving him in the, in the fullness and allowing him to expand our souls as we behold him. And I just think that that's what beauty does, that when we mm-hmm. sit in front of beauty, it has a way of expanding our souls to take it in because we're taking in something that's eternal mm-hmm. and and really stretches us. And um, Juliet Benner talks about too, in her book, she has a great book called The um, Contemplative Vision. And she says that physical seeing is a doorway to spiritual seeing. And so in the sense that we are slowing down to perceive what we see around us with our physical eyes, if we slow down to behold, we can see spiritual realities at play underneath, just like in Romans 1, even in creation, where it talks about how God's glory and his truth is communicated through the first creation. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I just love that. So we have all these, I mean, I can see how your heart for spiritual formation and your gift as an artist sort of combine in your, Mm -hmm. in your life where the art itself as an artist, it slows you down, forces you to do things out of a different side of your brain. Even I love that revelation that you've had where there's different Mm -hmm. ways of inputting knowledge Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. into ourselves and processing information to actually make it real in our lives. And uh, we have predominantly in our Western, so if you just grew up in the school system, just a a Western context, and actually probably most of the globe now, you will have processed information through the right side of your brain. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Uh, So the left side of the brain is sort of logic, analytical thinking. So your left side of the brain, you would have processed, and almost all of our education is left Mm -hmm. brain Mm -hmm. based, Mm -hmm. but art is right brain based mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and your right brain is kind of where your emotions sit mm-hmm. relationship connection spiritual uh spirituality yeah yeah so what's fascinating in neuroscience over the last 15 years is they've discovered that when it comes to the way that our brain processes information that our brain actually processes from the right to the left and so the right is like you said it's it's creativity, it's the imagination, it's your emotions, but it's also relational connection and mm-hmm. encounters and intuition, and intuition. like senses, like, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we, we intuitively, you know, when we have a loved one walk into the room, that side of our brain lights up that there's an intuitive knowing and trust and relational connection. And then the left side operates to put language and words to what we have just encountered. But for the large part in the West, like you said, in education, but also I think, especially in discipleship in our churches, we have really only discipled people primarily through the left side of the brain. We've given theology, belief, words, scripture, you know, and we think, well, if, if that's, that's it, like that's, that's all you need. And yet our souls have been hungry for the relational connection that I think we have been 
missing. And that's why you hear so many people, I think, say, I know who God is, but I don't know him. Like I know of God, but, and I have these beliefs of who God is and, you know, what scripture says about him, but I have not encountered him in a relational way. And so that's what gets me excited about utilizing beauty and the arts and creativity and the imagination and spiritual formation is helping people to get to a place where they are encountering God for themselves, Mm -hmm. where they have a relational connection to him that lasts, that is formative, that's transforming them. And then it's the left side that then we are like, what just happened? That's where we form our theology to experience that. Yeah. What's so cool about that one is just the colossal miss of a generation to like (laughs) have brain knowledge and religious understanding, Mm -hmm. but no encounter intuitive Mm -hmm. experiences with the living God, you know? So like one, whoops, missed that one. (laughs) But also two, like, this is literally the Christmas story. Like Mm -hmm. God enters the world Mm -hmm. through the Mm -hmm. left I mean, through the right side of the brain, Mm -hmm. the intuitive, the encounter, the connection, and literally blows everybody, everybody's mind, right? Because nobody has language for this. Nobody really has full understanding of this. Like, you know, nobody knows this is how this is going to unfold. And this is how, so it is really Christmas is a mind blowing experience because Mm -hmm. God is not coming through (laughs) reasonable, logical means Yes. So he's coming through encounter and experience and like mm. a radically different kind of heart and posture than we might've even been able to understand before. Right. So this kind of brings me like, no wonder, I feel like I'm answering the question I gave you, but like, no wonder <laughs> as an artist, you are attracted to the story of Christ's coming. Mm-hmm. I feel like it is literally like Christ as human form is its own form of cosmic art. Yes. Yes. Um, it is itself the creator recreating, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is this, like the old, the, this like new and old breaking mm-hmm. into the present mm-hmm. tense, like all mm-hmm. of these incredible artistic ideas of what's going on in the Christmas story. So, yeah, I mean, talk to me yeah. more about this Advent preparing, um, making room in Advent, this mm-hmm. series and the art uh, that through this series, many people are tasting and seeing. And if they haven't got the book yet, we're really hoping you will get the book because it's filled with these beautiful art pieces and lots of spiritual formation thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even real practical, uh, you know, practical spiritual exercises that will help slow us down and behold the beauty of God at work in the Christmas story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's fascinating to Danielle is for one, So as you were saying, you know, God chose the incarnation as a really a right brain expression of who he was. God wasn't satisfied to just tell him, tell us in words about who he is, that he is a relational God and he wants to get close. And so he chose an embodied, literally coming in the flesh way that his word is manifest. And one of the things that as I was writing, so the book Making Room in Advent really unpacks Luke's birth narrative in the first couple chapters in Luke. And one of the things that's fascinating to me as I thought about what Luke is doing is he begins, you know, in the first few verses of telling the birth narrative, he says, you know, I took it upon myself to draw up an account. And that word for account is literally narrative that he's telling a story and he's saying, I am drawing on the authenticity and trying to help you understand who Jesus is, but not just through words. He it's, it's actually 
through the lived stories of flesh and blood people of Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, the shepherds, Anna, Simeon. And he's he's helping us to see and to experience who God is through the way he becomes flesh and blood in our stories, not just even in the person of Jesus himself, who is the flesh, flesh and blood, you know, manifest presence of God, but also how his word incarnates into our story in very embodied ways, not just right or left brain words, but actually in transformative encounters with him, even, even before he shows up onto the, into the story. Um, and so that's just, what's been mind blowing to me. And also even as a communicator and as an artist, who's then creating this book is trying to help recognize that for the readers and the viewers who are looking at the paintings and then reading the stories that my hope and desire is that they have a lived encounter with with Jesus himself, with the incarnation within their stories. And that I think that that's the beautiful invitation that Luke's gospel gives us is that we can see ourselves in the stories of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and just, um, yeah, can we, we can experience and encounter God afresh through their stories too. So. I love that story is actually on that right side of the brain side of things yes. too, right? Yeah. Over logic, rational thought, you know, organized mm-hmm. <laughs> linear thinking stories mm-hmm. and that like evoking all of those other things. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful thing. Um, okay. Talk to me about how maybe you encountered beauty and beheld mm-hmm. it through, through this project and then how you're hoping others might. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the interesting pieces, you know, we've talked about this before, but how the piece actually came to be. Um, it actually started in a group of of women. I was in a cohort of women with InterVarsity called the Women's Daniel Project. And we, uh, in many ways, were living out the story of how do we become Mary and Elizabeth to one another to receive the new thing God is doing in our midst. And so it was really cool that it was sort of birthed out of that community. But when I, I, I kind of took each women in this cohort took on a project and this, the project that I took on was starting to create these paintings and then these devotional writings to go with them um, specifically for Advent. And when I started creating the, the first piece I started working on was the Annunciation where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, she will be pregnant with Jesus. And there was something really beautiful just for one in the creative process, you are meditating on at least I was meditating on God's word in ways that I don't frequently do when I am processing scripture. And so there's things that were coming up for me as I was creating it and also finding myself really embodying the message afresh when I was painting this first series, you know, this first painting on the Annunciation and thinking about like pondering the concept of the incarnation and and that moment when she, when Mary yields and surrenders to uh, to conceive Jesus. And that same moment I was working on that painting, I was like, I think I might be pregnant. <laughs> and I found out that the next day that I was. So this sort of invitation. And this is a special little note. Like, don't worry. <laughs> if you're beholding this picture, it doesn't mean that you'll just instantly get pregnant. There's like a whole thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it was scare anybody. Yes. What was yeah, this idea that like yeah. what's happening inside of you is happening also through yeah. you and in the yeah. story and, you know, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of connections. 
It is. And I think it's, I mean, even along the same line of the incarnation, I was literally, you know, incarnating the message in my body uh, through the things, you know, through living it, through walking alongside Mary and thinking about her journey through pregnancy as I was pregnant. And then also like pregnant with this creative idea of this book. And so just Mm -hmm. to see those weave together and how deeply connected God was, uh, you know, and he's done this so many times in my artistic journey of like literally in my body, taking on the flesh of whatever it is he's wanting me to communicate. Uh, and that itself was just mind blowing because again, it was relational. Mm-hmm. It was connected to my body. It wasn't just in my head, these ideas and mm-hmm. things that I'm trying to put into words, but actually to flesh out in creative form. And uh, so that itself was amazing. But I think as well, you know, when I actually just finished sealing up the paintings and and putting them into frames, because I, I have a couple book launch events that I'll be sharing the originals with. When I looked back at each of the paintings that I had worked on, it was like remembering the stories and these characters that have become so personal to me because I, you know, this process has been about five years And God, throughout the whole time, was working through my own story as I walked alongside of Zechariah and and really wrestled with him about what does it look like to wait for God and also to be silenced um, by him in my need for control, you know, or what does it look like to walk alongside Elizabeth who was barren for so long and to feel myself in many ways, feeling barren in certain ways of my life, you know, or what does it look like to walk alongside Mary who, you know, God comes to her with this brilliant um, invitation and how do I myself partner with him? So over and over and over again, as I pondered their stories, wove them alongside my own journey. And then just encountered Jesus himself as I was painting these pieces in the studio. It was just a very intimate and beautiful way of beholding the message over years, over the times in the studio and on the page that, um, yeah, I'm still in awe from. You know, it's beautiful. And it it goes, I think it needs to be said that a female perspective on the incarnation is not to be taken lightly. Yes. And is fascinatingly enough, not very often given. Right. So people will experience this. I mean, I spoke on using your art actually on Christmas and shared my own experience of being pregnant and, you know, sort of this alien person inside <laughs> me taking over my body and like uh-huh. <laughs> just the struggle of that and the reality yeah. of that, the pain of that. And, you know, the vast, but like people just responded in droves to say, like, mm-hmm. I have never heard that before from a pulpit. Mm-hmm. Like I have mm-hmm. never been, and mostly because mostly men are speaking and they're trying to relate, but the idea of embodying those actual realities and then sharing from that experience, again, instead of like a knowledge base, but mm-hmm. like an encounter experience embodied place mm-hmm. is vastly different. So I just think it's a powerful thing that as a female artist, as a female pregnant artist (laughs) contemplating the beauty Mm. of this birth and and several births actually that are at the heart of this Mm -hmm. beautiful Christmas narrative. There's something happening there. Yeah. What are you, I mean, that's, I, for me, that's one thing I'm hoping people will take away Mm -hmm. is that this perspective Mm -hmm. is fresh and different as a result of uh, you being someone who's different 
And you being someone who's embodying this thing and actually from this place of creation, creating and God creating in you at the same time. I mean, boom, that's exciting. Yeah. What else are you hoping people might encounter for themselves or ways they might encounter it? Yeah. Well, I mean, along that line, that was one of the reasons I felt that I needed to write this book and do the paintings is because I also, you know, have been in, in churches and never have heard this story told in this way. I've never mm-hmm. heard Elizabeth and Mary featured as sort of the central pieces as they are in Luke's birth narrative. And I just think that it's mind blowing that in a patriarchal culture that Luke centers the story around these two women, you know, and I think there was a real loss for me. And I think a grief for me as I've walked alongside women and, and have, you know, so frequently only heard the story about the men in the story, you know, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, how did we miss this? That this is, yeah, they are quite so literally, He silences the man who should be telling the story. Yeah. I mean, it's quite like he literally silences the priest who's the one who's supposed to explain all the things. Mm-hmm. Well, and like even Joseph professional is silent, yes. like literally supernaturally silenced. We don't need to hear from you, Zacharias. Yeah. We'll let the story unfold a different way. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. what on earth? I and know. then centering these females and centering mm-hmm. babies, mm-hmm. even after that. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, whoa. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, and the ways that their voices are elevated. I mean, you see Elizabeth when John the Baptist is born, she's giving this prophetic declaration of who John is, that he's mm-hmm. not a priest. He's not going to be a priest mm-hmm. in the name of Zechariah like his father was. He's going to be a prophet. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, her naming him John is is standing with God in God's choosing of who John is going to be. Again, kind of moving the center of power out from <laughs> the religious sphere and into the margins of the desert, you know, and, and, and Elizabeth too, when in her declaration of Mary, you know, when Mary comes to visit and mm-hmm. she sees this thing, like she has this spiritual perception, perception to see mm-hmm. what God is doing in Mary. And she calls it forth mm-hmm. and this beautiful interaction between these two women where she's not threatened by her, but she's using her voice to empower and encourage Mary. So you see these beautiful ways that Elizabeth, yeah, and even how does she know that? Like, how does she get that revelation? Right. She has an embodied encounter. Yeah. Yes. With God. That's how the spirit moves inside of her. And it gives her language for it. It's not like the other way around, which is probably right. what Zachariah's problem was, is he was trying to filter this thing through things he already knew. Mm-hmm. And so God's like, no, you got to stop that. And you got to come a different way. Cause there's no way anything that has prepared you for what it is I'm about to do. Right. So again, it's that like, how do we turn off that, you know, uh, ego, control, mm. rational, mm-hmm. I understand, I need to understand, you know, my own sense of control and management of information is the boss of me. Yeah. And how do we open instead to like encounter and relationship and like revelation and mystery even. Right. And then, and from that place, you know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I would imagine that one of your big hopes by writing this devotion book, and even the way that you wrote it is to make room. Mm-hmm for people to enter in to that place, encounter, experience, mystery, Mm -hmm. beholding, slowing Mm -hmm. down. Yeah. How best can people do that through this, through this season? Yeah. So, you know, the way the book is even structured is it starts with the painting uh, 
for each entry. And that's again, because it's the integrating the right side of the brain to give people an encounter with God through the beauty, through the painting, through the story as it's unfolding in a visual way. And then, you know, the left side is where then there's a scripture passage that connects specifically with that moment. And then it's unpacked in words, but then it also closes with a breath prayer and a, a, a reflection question, which gets us back into our bodies and into our own stories. And, and that is really a desire I have is, is for people to be recaptivated again by the wonder of the incarnation, by the just, I mean, every time I've gotten into the story, I'm still in awe mm-hmm. of how God has worked and largely through these very, you know, embodied, relational, uh, creative ways that continue to lean into mystery. And 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 really, I think, you know, one of the entries I, I have is called Making Room for Mystery and kind of comparing even Mary's response to the angel versus Zechariah's response to the angel. They say very similar things. Zechariah says, how can I be sure? And Mary says, how will this be? They sound very similar, but they're leaning into two different realities. I think Zechariah's question is leaning into sort of the age of enlightenment, of certainty, of control, of knowledge. Like if I can just understand and be sure and certain, I can have control over what's happening right now. It's also centering him. Yes. How can I be sure? Right. Yeah. 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 Whereas Mary is saying, how will this be? She's saying, I understand my own limitations, but God, show me the door to where heaven opens to this earth. Like, Mm -hmm. show me the greatness of how you can do this thing. And it leans into mystery and wonder. It's a contemplative question. And so even as I think about what I'm hoping that this book will do is I want to help people to get into the space in a different way than what Zechariah was, which was, okay, I understand the story. This is exactly what it is. This is a calculated formula for how I can play it out in my life. And instead lean into the mystery, into the wonder, into the awe of their own uh, stories of how God is at work, of the leaning into the story in ways that doesn't shrink the story or shrink Mm -hmm. God, but like wants their whole minds and bodies to be expanded, to take him in, in, in ways that, uh, yeah, continues to transcend our own understanding. So that's definitely a huge hope I have for the book. And also, I mean, there are a lot of themes in the book around justice and how God's story reveals himself and, you know, communicates himself to the to the least of these, to the marginalized in the message. Mary herself, as well as the shepherds, and uh, throughout the whole narrative, is revealing. You know, even through Mary's Magnificat of God lifting up the humble and feeding the hungry as central to His kingdom come. So, well, I also think it's interesting. You know, like Jesus picked unlearned men. Mm -hmm. Uh, as disciples. And oftentimes we're like, why do you do that? Why do you do that? And then even for his incarnation, he picked women who were outside of the uh, established learning structures of the day. They just, they Mm -hmm. couldn't even go if they wanted to. Yeah. And I I think part of it is this, that those people who are stuck in the center of learning are like stuck in themselves, are stuck Mm -hmm. in their own containers of what they can understand. And I guess their struggle, like Zachariah's struggle was to get out of it like to break free from it. Um, Whereas people who don't have it, like children, for example, Mm -hmm. when it comes to wonder and beholding Mm -hmm. and seeing things that don't exist and like that idea of wide-eyed, you know, wonder, um, you don't have, they don't have to work so hard 
Yeah. We have to work so hard because we've got to get rid of some of all these things that we've learned and mm. grids that we go through. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. and there is, and there is a story of redemption in Zechariah's story at the end. You know, he's not always at the, you know, I think we are like, oh, he's silenced and set to the side. But what I love in, in mm-hmm. that vein that you're talking is at the end of the story, Zechariah's his story is redeemed by the way that mm-hmm. he yields and that that when he stands in agreement with Elizabeth and with God about who who John is and he proclaims his name that's when he you know his mouth is opened and he has this mm-hmm. song of proclamation and praise yeah. which is called the the benedictus you know of this astounding... and almost the, the unfolding story begins kind of it's like yeah. he's part of that like announcing this like unfolding drama and he gets right. in on it yeah. When he gets yeah, to well, the end of himself. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love is this through song. So he's yeah. not trying to give yeah. a logical explanation mm-hmm. of what, you know, what's happening of God's salvation. It's almost like you're watching Zechariah try to grasp for words to articulate what God is doing through his salvation, you know, and that he's just amazed and he's like, it's like this and it's like this and it's like this, you know, and he's just and that's part of the pictures race. with his words. He's yeah, exactly. Some scriptures. Right. Yeah, trying to, yeah, that's cool. And that's why in the painting, you know, I have him on his knees, but what's coming out of his mouth is this, you know, white stream of the song coming, bursting forth from Mm -hmm. him that taps into that mystery and wonder and awe and praise. And that I feel like in that time of silence, you know, he was really, you know, coming that other way that you're talking about and marinating on the wonder of this and silencing his own words to receive God's words Mm -hmm. that germinated and produced new life over those many months of silence. Um, So you get to see the fruit of that in the song. This is so beautiful. Well, that's half my battle as someone, as you might imagine, who's good with words is Mm -hmm. to uh, stop. is to stop them is to stop explaining, stop speaking, stop trying, Mm. stop communicating and just listen. Mm. And that's been a a thing I've fought for uh, Mm. over the last few years, just a recognition that there is a time like, you know, this gift is beautiful and I'm going to use it as best as I can. But there's also like, I got to stop. I got to unthink. I have to (laughs) do something else. And so uh, this discipline of um, Visio Divina, which you use a lot and through your, through your paintings where there's just another way in. Mm. So like for me, I could also just read the story. I could read the Bible, but it'll, it'll translate me into words mm. again. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, in my practice with your work is to not read the story and to just look at the picture mm-hmm. and see mm-hmm. if I can't enter the story a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've created, I mean, this art of, uh, Visio Divina is beautiful in that it, it is a combination sort of of slowing yourself down mm-hmm. of taking the time of beholding and then just paying attention to what is happening inside of us and inviting God to speak mm-hmm. to us, to speak to us through another way, you know, mm-hmm. either a physical sensation or a thing in the painting or a sense and again, it's all this other encountery felt kind of side mm-hmm. of things. And that's a real genuine desire for mm-hmm. people using this material and using mm-hmm. this guide mm-hmm. is that uh, you would take the time and that, you know, that almost is take the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the thing is take the time. So just spend it. And then just, I, I, I often say, waste it mm. uh, just as a, like, I am going to spend this time, whether anything comes of it or not. 
Right. I was going to spend it beholding. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in my experience, always it's worthy. It always mm-hmm. there's an always there's a thing that God's speaking to me. Always there's mm-hmm. another encounter. Always mm-hmm. there's beauty that I behold that changes me. Mm-hmm. But I still I just dedicate the time and say this is what I'm going to do with this. I am going to intentionally spend my time <laughs> beholding. Yeah. And that practice alone, just with these paintings, I think is well worth. And I, and I, it is a practice, but I also would say to people like, you got to practice this. It mm-hmm. doesn't come naturally because you've learned the other way. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and Visio Divina, you know, it's Latin for divine seeing. And so it really just helps position us to hear from God in ways that are outside of our control. Uh, and it's actually like very similar to if any of you listening have cultivated the practice of listening prayer, mm-hmm. you know, a listening prayer, you have to open yourself and surrender to whatever image or word or scripture that God is going to bring to you. And that, that in Visio Divina, you're really just creating the space mm-hmm. visually, uh, you know, creating a sacred container to encounter God, to hear from him, to see something different. And then sometimes that comes up in words. And I've just, in people who've talked to me about the practice of Visio Divina and what happens for them is it, they're so often surprised by what God is saying or what he, he is revealing or what he's drawing their attention to. And the art sim- simply just becomes a tool that God uses to speak to us. And it's always amazing to me because you know, art has the potential of just being a holding space, but it's not a controlling space of, oh, I want you to see this, or you've got to see this, but it's a space of freedom that God can use to speak specifically to what he wants to say in that particular moment to that particular person. Um, and that the art just kind of helps us get into that space with God. And so, yeah, that's my hope and desire for that practice. Well, it's beautiful. All of it is beautiful. And for those of you uh, listening to this, we hope it's really helpful. So this is making room in Advent and it's beholding beauty. Mm-hmm. Dostoevsky, I think, is the guy who said beauty was going to save the world. Yes. And by that, of course, he meant Christ mm-hmm. in the fullness of all beauty. We mm-hmm. see the face of Christ. Mm-hmm. So um, take a minute or two or go find a, a, a thing, waste some time, practice yeah. some divine seeing. I think Richard Rohr is the guy that uh, I read about uh, him taking a piece of tape and just putting it on the threshold of the door and Mm. writing the words behold. Mm. Uh, And every time he leaves and crosses this line that he creates, he stops just walking and he starts beholding. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've done that a couple of times in my own life, you know, where I just cross the threshold of behold. And now mm-hmm. I've moved from just like casually walking along to looking for God at work right. in the world, looking yeah. for beauty, looking for hope, looking for the voice of God. And funny enough, hey, <laughs> I always find him. <laughs> yeah. It's that intentional shift. You know, it's yeah. just an intentional shift to position yourself with curiosity and position yourself with the posture of surrender and wonder and allowing God to speak to you with the ex- expectancy that he will, you know, mm-hmm. not with an expectation of what you're going to hear or what you're going to see, but the expectancy that God is always communicating and how do I open myself to receive? And, you know, I want to offer to you, if any of you listening want to be, have a kind of an audio guided Visio Divina practice to explore what this is. Um, I have a little 
code. If you text the word justice to 33777, I'll send you um, the Magnificat painting of Mary singing her Magnificat song. And there's an audio guide that goes with it that you can actually practice this, you know, and I just think especially in the Advent season, when it's so frantic and so crazy, it's hard to slow down because our minds are just everywhere. But sometimes having a guide or kind of an audio, something to lead you along the journey can be really helpful. So again, that's justice to 33777 and would love to offer that as a gift um, for you to connect with God. That's beautiful. Thanks, Betty, for all you're doing and uh, keep it up. Keep up the creating and keep up helping us to behold more beauty everywhere. It's going to matter. Thank you.